are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Our theme tonight is the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ, deity meaning supreme being, we're going to look at his divine character and the divine nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we understand that the deity of Christ is in fact essential and foundational uh, for uh, the, the Christian and uh, our doctrine. And uh, we have to understand that. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ is God. As a member of the Trinity, He's the Son of God, which makes Him equal with God. And as a member of the Trinity, He is the Son of God. And we understand that because the Lord Jesus Christ is God, He's eternal. That means He pre-existed in eternity past. He exists now and He will always exist. The Lord Jesus Christ is not a lesser kind of God. He is, in fact, the true God. And He is not a created being. He is, in fact, the Creator. We're going to see all of these truths tonight. And I'm going to walk you through the Gospel of John and look at a number of passages with you. And I'm going to quote a lot of Scripture and read some Scripture tonight as well. But as we consider the deity of Christ, I'm reminded of the great I Am. And I'm reminded tonight that I am with thee is the theme of the deity of Christ. God saying, I am with thee. We're in John chapter 1, and look with me if you would, beginning in verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Verse 6 is my wife's life verse right there. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. I just thought I would throw that in for you tonight. Let's skip down to verse 14. The Bible says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, speaking of Christ in His incarnation, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I love Your people. I'm thankful for the privilege to stand and teach and preach tonight. I pray You take control of this service. Thank You for all that we've witnessed already in Your presence being here. I pray, God, that You would speak and minister and strengthen your church tonight in a special way as they have taken their time to be a part of this service tonight. And we'll be careful to give you the glory for it in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus did not come into existence when he was born of Mary in the manger. He was, in fact, preexistent. From Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter number 22, we see the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. In Revelation chapter 22, the last two verses, verse 20 and 21 testify, even so come Lord Jesus, calling the Lord Jesus Christ Lord. Verse 21, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Paul the Apostle said in Colossians 1 and verse 16, for by him, speaking of Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things. Listen to this, and by Him all things consist. Scientists are still trying to figure out what holds the atom together. And the Word of God says, by Him all things consist. 
Verse 18 of Colossians 1 says, And He is the head of the body, the church. I'm thankful tonight that Christ is the head of the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him, in Christ, should all fullness dwell. I'm simply saying tonight, from Genesis to Revelation, we see the theme of the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus had the discourse with the disciples, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And you know, Peter answered the question right, and Jesus said, Blessed art thou, uh, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee, but my Father which is in heaven hath revealed it to thee. I can't see this tent over here, so I'll lean from time to time this way. And uh, he said, Thou art Peter, little rock, little stone. Then he said, Upon this rock, speaking of himself, he's the chief cornerstone. I will build my church. But not only is Jesus Christ the foundation stone of the local New Testament church, but that text very clearly and distinctly teaches us the doctrine of the deity of Christ is foundational to the local New Testament church as well. Every book of the Bible has a main theme, and that theme is unique uh, to itself, just as every member of our body has its own function, so every book of the Bible has its own special purpose. The theme of the Gospel of John is in fact the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. If the deity of Christ is not properly understood, everything else about the life of our Savior will be misunderstood. When John said in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John was in fact declaring with clarity and conviction that Jesus Christ was in fact and still is the Son of God. And not just a man as some cults and false religions teach. You see, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the King of the Jews. The theme of Mark is Jesus as the suffering servant. The book of Luke is that Jesus, in fact, the Son of Man. But all through the Gospel of John, we see the deity of Jesus Christ pictured. And the pre-existence or the eternality of Christ proving the fact that He was, in fact, God. And I want to walk through that with you tonight. I brought an extra copy of my message just in case the wind blew it away. So don't think you're going to get out of here that quick. I caught it though, praise the Lord for that. Let's look at verse 15 of John's Gospel in chapter 1. We see John the Baptist declaring the pre-existence of Christ in the very next verse. Verse 15, and John bear witness of him, of Christ, and cried saying, He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was... Circle that word was, if you don't mind marking in your Bible, he was before me. We know that when the Virgin Mary told Elizabeth about Jesus, John the Baptist leaped in Elizabeth's womb in Luke chapter 1. But skip down to verse 30 of John chapter 1. It says, This is he of whom I said after me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Twice here we see John saying he was before me. Now unbelievers and unbelieving scholars will say that the phrase he was before me means that John was more important than Jesus. But if that were true, John would have said, He is before me. And so tonight, as Bible believers, we know that John the Baptist was born before Jesus was born. And John the Baptist said that Jesus existed before he existed. And so according to John the Baptist, Jesus pre-existed before Bethlehem's manger. Can I get a witness right there? Let's take our Bibles and turn to chapter 8, if you would, tonight. Jesus now is speaking to the Jews in verse 56 of John's Gospel in chapter 8. And he says, Our father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and when he saw it, he was glad. 
Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, and here it is, my friend, I am. And look at their response in verse 59, then took, up they st then took up they stones to cast at him. You see the phrase I am clearly de it depicts the unspeakable name of Jehovah. As we think back on Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 14 where God comes to Moses in the burning bush and God said to Moses, I am that I am. We understand that Moses asked the question, what am I going to tell Israel when they ask me who sent me? And Jesus said, uh, God told him in Exodus 3.14, I am, hath sent me unto you. You see, the name Jehovah is the self-existent one. And we understand the linking between that who is the great I am. I'm simply saying tonight that the Lord Jesus Christ of the New Testament is the same as the Jehovah of the Old Testament. I'm thankful tonight for the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 17 is a passage of scripture we'll, tur we'll turn to next. And this is a chapter that our pastor mentions regularly. It's known as this powerful prayer of our Savior. And in verse 5 of John 17, Jesus prays, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I'm simply saying tonight that this verse teaches that Jesus rightfully shared the glory of the Father. And we understand that Jesus shared the glory before the world was. This means that Jesus is eternal. And I would submit to you tonight... We have evidence all throughout Scripture of Jesus being God robed in human flesh. I would submit to you tonight that the very birth of Christ proved that Jesus was in fact God. His virgin birth, Jesus' virgin birth was, was foretold to us. The exact place was foretold to us in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old from everlasting. Micah foretold the birth of Christ to Israel. Rather than choosing a city of notoriety for Jesus to be born, God chose a city without reputation. The exact location was foretold. The exact uh, conditions were foretold. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel. During the same period that Micah foretold of the city where Jesus would be born, Isaiah prophesied and foretold of the conditions under which Jesus would be born this sign was going to be a virgin giving birth. So not only was the miraculous birth foretold, but the miraculous birth was fulfilled. The prophecy of the exact city was foretold, but then it was fulfilled in Luke chapter 2. And we won't take time to go there as we move on in the message tonight, and you understand that. Some 750 years after Micah foretold the city where the Messiah would be born, the power of God fulfilled this prophecy in Luke in chapter number 2. Micah has also foretold, foretold to us the besieging of the capital city of, of Israel in Micah 5.1. And at the time of Christ's birth, both the city and the country were controlled by Rome. 
terrible time. Micah foretold of his birth, and uh, we understand that in, in Bethlehem. And we see that uh, Luke records for us the fulfilling of that prophecy. So the exact location was foretold and fulfilled, and the exact conditions were foretold and fulfilled. But I would submit to you, not only did the virgin birth of Christ prove His deity, but the virtuous behavior of our Savior proves His deity as well. His love for the world proves that He was in fact God. His love was completely unselfish as Jesus loved those who rejected Him. His love for those who ridiculed Him shows that His love was unselfish. And as Jesus hung on the cross in Luke 23, He cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, only God could love the way that Jesus loved. What a beautiful sight as we consider and as we ponder His love. His love was absolutely unselfish love. His love was completely unlimited Jesus loved those who doubted Him. As we stop and consider the life of Thomas, Thomas had walked with Jesus for over three years. He had witnessed the Lord Jesus performing miracles and watched His life closely. And yet, even after the disciples testified that they had seen the risen Savior, Thomas still doubted in his heart. And how long would Christ continue to love a man who still doubted after the resurrection? In the face of overwhelming, undeniable evidence, Jesus continued to love Thomas. Why is that? Because His love, my friend, tonight is unlimited. Jesus loved those who doubted, but Jesus also loved those who denied as we consider the life of Peter. What a great man he was, and yet we know of the great mistakes of his life. Christ loved Peter even after his haughty spirit led him to deny the Lord Jesus. Now, I don't know about you tonight, but I'm thankful that the love of Christ is unlimited. How about you? His love proved his deity, but his life also proved his deity. Only God could possess the morals that Jesus possessed. Jesus was absolutely sinless, for He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 22, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. I'm reminded of the life of Peter. Peter personally knew the character of Jesus and the conduct of Jesus. As he watched his life, Peter declared with absolute certainty and with complete clarity that Jesus Christ was absolutely sinless. Peter could do that because he knew that Jesus Christ was in fact God. When you stop and consider Pilate, Pilate even had to say in Luke 23, 4, I find no fault in him. And so tonight, when you consider a friend, perhaps could have acknowledged Jesus as absolutely sinless, that's not very unusual. But when you consider an unbeliever and a wicked person, a man that acknowledged that Jesus was not guilty, and that is exactly what Pilate was saying. I submit to you tonight that only God could possess the morals that Jesus possessed, and only God could perform the miracles that Jesus performed. He calmed the storm in Matthew chapter 8. What a contrast his attitude was compared to the disciples. 
The attitude and actions of the disciples and the attitude of act and the actions of Jesus during the storm. Jesus was asleep, like some perhaps. Oh, it's too cold to fall asleep tonight. Hey, I asked my wife, I said, you ready to go to church? She said, honey, uh, we're going to stay home and watch service online and enjoy the service. But she's here tonight, amen. I'm glad she still loves me. But Jesus calmed the storm. He, he was asleep. The men were afraid. The faith of the men was insufficient, but the faith of our master was infinite. Jesus manifested godly power and the disciples manifested great perplexity. The men acted as they did because they were human, but our master acted as he did because he was in fact God robed in human flesh. Jesus created the storm and Jesus calmed the storm. And I'm thankful tonight that he's calmed the storm for us for this service as well. Luke chapter 5 tells about some men crying. Uh, excuse me, some men carrying a diseased man to Jesus and caring about him. And Jesus dealt with the man's sins before he dealt with his sickness. And the scribes and the Pharisees, knowing that only God could forgive sin, they begin to accuse Jesus of blasphemy. But Jesus forgave the man's sins because only God can forgive sins. I'm trying to move quickly tonight. We noted that the love of Christ proved His deity. We noted that the life of Christ proved His deity. But I want to notice the leadership of Christ also proved His deity. He had complete power over every disease. How many understand tonight Jesus didn't need a face mask and He didn't need a vaccine either, amen? He had power to cure diseases when you read Matthew chapter 4. And you see the story there. He had complete power over death in John chapter 11. As we consider the, the story of Lazarus, Jesus stood before the open tomb of Lazarus and commanded Lazarus to come forth. And Jesus conquered death because as God, He has absolute power over death. I'm saying tonight that God's love, Christ's love, proved His deity. I'm saying tonight that Christ's life proved His deity. I'm saying tonight that Christ's leadership proved His deity. I'm saying tonight that Christ's own lips, His words, proved His deity. Jesus was condemned for, for claiming to be God in Mark chapter 14. When the high priest asked Jesus if He was the Son of the blessed, Jesus answered, I am. The high priest understood that He claimed to be God and accused Jesus of blasphemy. He was then condemned later to death. We reminded tonight that He was condemned for claiming to be God and He was crucified for claiming to be God. Matthew chapter 27 Pilate had to decide what he was going to do with Jesus. And in verse 22, Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? What a powerful question. And the sad reality is they all answered, Let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. The most important question any person will ever ask is what shall I then do with Jesus? And the answer to this question, what shall I do with Jesus, determines where you and I will spend eternity. I'm reminded that Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are 
become new. I'm thankful that there's a time in my life where I realized that I was a sinner, that I realized Jesus as the Son of God came to the sin-cursed earth, leaving the glory and splendor of heaven because He loved you and me. And He came to the sin-cursed earth and He lived a perfectly sinless life and He died on the cross to pay our sin debt. He rose from the grave on the third day and then He ascended to heaven and He sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father on high. And my, I submit to you, I'm on my way to heaven not because of religion or good works. I'm on my way to heaven because I've accepted the greatest gift of all, the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, paid by the precious blood of our Savior. And I'm reminded that if Jesus died for me, it's only reasonable that I live for Him. As Paul told the churches of Galatia in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and He gave Himself for me. And I'm reminded tonight that if you've been born again by the blood of the cross, I'm simply saying tonight, greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. And as I come to the conclusion, I've tried to move quickly in the meat of the message tonight. I am with thee. The great I am is in our midst tonight. The question then is, what does this mean for you and me? The great I am is all present. He's omnipresent. You see, because Jesus didn't come into existence at Bethlehem's manger... It means that He pre-existed in eternity past. Because He has always existed, there has never been a time in all of world history where He wasn't alive to help His people. You ask, well, Brother Everson, what if we have leaders today that begin writing legislation that is contradicting the Word of God? My friend, that's been going on for quite a while. What are we going to do if they begin to enforce laws that are contradictory to the Word of God? Well, I'm reminded of Daniel chapter 3, and I'm reminded of three Hebrew children. And I am reminded tonight that the, the king said, look, I want you to heat that furnace up. And they said, God is able, but even if He doesn't, you can go ahead and cast us into the burning, fiery furnace. And of course, they bound those men up, and they tossed them in the furnace. And in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 25, the king stands up and looks in the fire, and he says, lo... I see four men loose. You see, the only thing that the fire burned off the three Hebrew children was what the world put on them. That's something to think about tonight when you're in the midst of the fire and in the midst of the trial. God is trying to purify you and purify me and burn off us what the world has already put on us. And as the king looked in the fire that night, he said, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt. But the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. I'm reminded of Joshua of old in Joshua chapter 5. As he was perplexed, God had, had uh, opened up the Jordan River and they had crossed on dry ground and they had uh, set up camp in Gilgal and made their memorial and now they are within eyeshot of Jericho, that fortified and walled city. The Bible doesn't tell us, and I personally believe that Joshua was walking with God, trying to figure out the next step. But you come to the end of Joshua chapter number 5. And you see in verse 13, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over 
against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said unto him, this is Jesus, by the way, art thou for us or for our adversaries? He's asking God whose side you're on. And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoes from off thy foot, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. And I would submit to North Valley Baptist Church that this parking lot and this season that God has put us in right here is holy ground. May I say tonight, the great I Am teaches us that God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. This is very comforting and it's very convicting. Christ always knows exactly how we feel. He knows what's going on in every circumstance. Nothing slips past Him. He sees everything. He knows every uh, heartache and every trial. And because He's all-knowing, He's all-knowing because He was made manifest in the flesh, may I say tonight, He knows what's best for us. Sometimes as you parent, you have to scratch your head at times and think, what's the best situation here? But I'm thankful that we have a Heavenly Father who always knows what's best for you and what's best for me. The great I Am is all-knowing. He's omniscient. The great I Am is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. Christ not only knows all things, uh, Christ not, is not only all-present, but He is all-powerful. In other words, He can do what's best for you and what's best for me because with God all things are possible. May I say tonight, the great I Am is love. And this is the beautiful thing as we stop and contemplate. Not only is He all-present in every situation, in every circumstance, from the foundation of this world until... Until today, He's always been present for His people. Not only is He all-knowing, and not only is He all-powerful, but He is love. And that means that He will always do what's best for me and you. I want to read to you just a few verses as I come to concluding the message tonight. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31 says this, And what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us. Paul went on to say in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Tonight, I'm thankful that the great I Am is with us tonight. And the message of the deity of Jesus Christ is a message of the fact that He is with us. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. 
For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.